My dear friends, this week I had a sermon all queued up and ready to be recorded on Wednesday morning. It was perhaps the first time I have ever gotten a sermon done that early in the week, but then. Then Wednesday afternoon happened at the Capitol and that sermon that I had written, it wasn't what we needed. Words matter, I think. And in the face of what we were witnessing, what we still are witnessing, those words simply weren't it. We may be feeling disturbed right now after all that we have seen, and I felt the Holy Spirit's invitation to listen to the text that we have this morning in that light instead. And so as we join together this morning for this sermon, let us enter into prayer. Let us pray. Now, God, we come to you with all of our anxiety and longing and anger and sadness. We hold a lot today, as you know. Meet us in the text and meet us in our very breath, we pray. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So you may know that today is the Sunday in the church year that we celebrate baptism. In our texts today, we read about the baptism of people in Acts who are filled with God's spirit and who start speaking in languages different than their own. We read too about Jesus's baptism when he shows up at the spot in the river where his cousin is baptizing people and he requests to be baptized as well. And I know many of you have heard about baptism before, but if you are new to this concept of baptism, or if you're like me and always need a refresher, here it is. Baptism, baptism is a sacrament, and it's a sacrament which is an outward sign of something that has already happened within. It is a physical event that symbolizes an inward commitment that has already been made. That is what a sacrament is. And in our text today, John, Jesus's cousin, was baptizing people in the river. There were perhaps some baptisms at that time, apart from John's baptism, different baptisms calling people to renewal. This was a, a cultural and religious act that was perhaps maybe a bit more popular than we think it is at that time. But through this baptism, through John's baptism, John was inviting people to die to their old way of doing things, to repent or turn around, and then be refreshed and renewed into a new way of life. Baptism was about judgment, purification, and then renewal. John knew that something was coming, and John was preparing the people for a new way of life. And after John until now, baptism still holds that same sort of significance. This sacrament of baptism, this outward sign of an inward commitment, represents our dying to old way of doing things as we go underneath the waters, and then celebrates our new life in Christ when we rise up from the waters again. Baptism symbolizes the truth that we have chosen to take on the invitation of Christ to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. A reminder that though we may die, we one day will be resurrected. Again, baptism isn't what makes these things true. It is simply a practice and reminder of things that are already true. And I think 
I think that baptism is a perfect thing to reflect on after this week. We watched an insurrection on Wednesday. People wore sweatshirts praising Nazis. They flew Confederate flags and carried emblems of white power. We listened to leaders incite violence and do everything they could to hold on to power, even at the expense of other people's lives. We saw some even carrying signs using Jesus's name to bless these actions. But what does all of this have to do with getting dunked into some water? You are probably asking. And my friends, I believe that we are receiving an invitation. Baptism is an invitation to repentance and an invitation to turning around to a new way of life with Christ. So what might, me, what might we be being invited to consider and repent of or be purified of through remembering our baptism this week of all weeks? This week's events remind us that so much is not well, and I think we are being invited into healing. We are still in the middle of the COVID pandemic, but that isn't the only thing from which we must be healed. We also need to be healed from the sickness of white supremacy. This is a virus that is in the very air that we breathe and the water that we drink. It is and has been woven into the very fabric of our country from its beginnings and can be seen everywhere from our system of education to our system of law enforcement. It is everywhere. Stick with me on this, for I know that this isn't an issue of politics or party, but this is an issue of Christian discipleship as evangelical Christianity as a whole has hitched its wagon to white supremacy, white Christian nationalism, to violence, to power at all costs, to misinformation, and so much more. I would utterly love to talk with you after the sermon if you are uncomfortable with what I am saying or if you have questions, but we, my friends, First Covenant, we must talk about this. This violent disease of white supremacy is something that we are being invited to repent of, even if we didn't help stage the attempted coup on Wednesday. And what happened in the Capitol on Wednesday? It isn't surprising. It is what always happens in our nation throughout history when white Americans feel and fear that white supremacy is being overthrown, even if they wouldn't call it by those words. There is a pattern here, my friends. It happened when Southern states seceded from the Union and started the bloodiest war in our country's history because they wished to own human beings. It happened when white people lynched black people and bombed black churches because black people had the audacity to sit at the front of the bus, to sit at a lunch counter, and to seek the right to vote. It happened here on Wednesday when lawmakers met to vote to certify the election where a candidate was voted out who had used his power for four years to do violence and further abuse people of color, who sanctioned and sometimes encouraged violence against them and anyone who cared about their lives. The rule of white supremacy was challenged and this Wednesday people staged a coup because of that. And now this piece of the sermon is specifically towards white members of our congregation. 
we might find it difficult to talk about these things because we aren't used to it. And because this idea of white supremacy has infiltrated everything in our culture, and these feelings of discomfort, they are normal. But my white friends, while it is difficult, and it can be, we must confront this, we must. This is our sickness. A fire in our house is burning down the whole neighborhood. While we as individuals may not believe in the lie that white people are superior to, person, to a person of any other race, this virus has infected us just the same. And it's spores, they're in my lungs. We cannot simply say that we don't believe it. We have to actively seek a cure and fight against the ways this virus works within our country's systems and within our own bodies and our hearts. This isn't political. Instead, this is an issue of living out our faith and loving one another and doing justice. And while we want racial reconciliation right away because we know that that is good, we cannot go there quite yet. Not until we repent. Without repentance and justice done, reconciliation, it's simply manipulation. Peace only comes when things have been addressed and made right. And when I think of baptism, I think of a gentle dunking, perhaps, maybe you do too, or maybe a sprinkling. I think of the ways that after someone gets baptized at our church, we welcome them with such open arms and it is so beautiful. We walk children around the church to see everyone. We welcome them into the family. And that is surely a piece of this, absolutely. But this week, this week, as I look at the sacrament of baptism, I am struck with the powerful force of water. Water can be gentle, yes, but it can also be wild. Giant and devastatingly gorgeous canyons are carved out by water, either over time or in one catastrophic event. Water is perhaps one of the most powerful forces we know. We ourselves are made of it. Water sustains all life, and without it we die. Water carves canyons where there once were mountains. Even a gentle stream erodes away its banks. And so as we remember our own baptisms this Sunday, I think our invitation may be to continue to be carved and cleansed with that water too. Maybe God's invitation to white members of our congregation and remembering our baptism this week is to reckon with the ways that our country was built upon white supremacy and continues to be entrenched in it. Perhaps our invitation is to lament and to repent of our own ways of siding with it, ways big and small. I know that I have them in me. I see them in things that I am a part of. And there is no shame in repentance. It is our story as Christians. Maybe our invitation is to remember that this virus of white supremacy will not be cured just because our leaders change. We are invited to see our country's violent history with open and clear eyes and work for something better, each in our own way and the ways that God has created us. Perhaps our invitation as we contemplate our baptism is to see the ways that white supremacy has taken a hold of our churches even. 
Maybe our invitation is to let go of our understandings of church itself and follow Christ into new and beautiful expressions of a worshiping, Christ-centered community. Maybe our invitation is to sit with open hands and to listen, to listen to Jesus, even if that voice sounds different than we would expect. John knew that Jesus was coming and would bring a new thing, and he invited people to repent and be baptized, be renewed and prepared for the goodness of God that was coming. People say that no one will call you out or invite you to change unless they think that you are worth it and know that you may be up to the task of good change. Otherwise, they'd be wasting their time. The invitation to repent is an invitation to remember that we are worthwhile to God, that God believes in us, that God knows that we can do this. And we can be excited when called to repent and be renewed, when we are asked to prepare for a new way of living and loving as God is recreating us new in Christ. God is doing a new thing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What if... What if God does a new thing in the church, brings repentance, and helps us move into a new place of justice? Wouldn't that be beautiful? I think God is inviting us to this. And this invitation, it is a beautiful thing, but there is even more goodness to our story this morning, to our text, and there's more goodness for all of us. There is a piece that further defines our theology around this sacrament of baptism, and here it is. Jesus goes to his cousin, John, to be baptized. While perhaps Jesus doesn't need, have a need to repent, he enters into the waters anyway to join us there so that we aren't alone, to join the movement, as it were. And when Jesus comes up out of the water held by John, I imagine John has kind of a sassy grin on his face, for as much as John knew the moment was holy, he probably also enjoyed dunking his cousin under the waters of the Jordan River. <laughs> but when Jesus comes up out of the water, a voice says, You are my beloved son, and in you I am pleased. And my friends, the waters of baptism do not only invite us to a repentance, to a dying of ourselves so that we can be renewed and live a new life with Christ. Baptism is also a bit of a welcome to the family celebration, an affirmation that we are loved and welcomed into Christ's family. That while we may be blood relatives with many beloved people, we are also now relatives through holy water with so many others and with God. Like the story of creation and in the Gospel of Mark, the voice hovering over the waters also calls us good. It is a symbol of our repentance and commitment, and it is a symbol of the celebration and welcome of God and the whole church community worldwide on our behalf when we come up out of those waters. And this voice, this voice declaring Jesus's goodness and our goodness reminds me of another voice from a favorite story of mine. Have you all heard the story of the magician's nephew? Have you heard of it? 
Well, perhaps if you haven't, you have heard of its sequel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Yes, the familiar Narnia tale of the four children who get to know Aslan the Lion and fight the White Witch. That tale has a book that comes before. The Magician's Nephew is its name, and it is a story of a boy named Diggory, the nephew of a magician who discovered a way into a new world and who was there the morning that Aslan created Narnia. And Narnia, it began with a voice. The author, Lewis, begins this creation narrative like this. He says, in the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It seemed to come from all directions at once. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune, but it was beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise that he had ever heard. It was so beautiful that Diggory could hardly bear it. And the narrative goes on to describe the nothingness filled with stars, which sang as well. The sky began to change like it does in a sunrise over Puget Sound. And the black of the night turned to gray and the gray to pink and then gold as hills grew up and the sunshine peaked over those hills, bringing into focus a magnificent lion, Aslan, standing in a verdantly green valley singing. And Aslan ends the singing with a charge in a strong voice saying, Narnia, awake, love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beasts, be divine waters. And this is also how I picture the beginning of our world and not just Narnia. I imagine God singing the world into existence through the different creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2, hovering over the deep like the dove and creating the world through music. I imagine God's voice strong and mighty, just like some Hebrew poetry that we know. What we read this morning in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Through voice, God creates. Through voice, God calls things good. And this voice is the one that blesses Jesus here, that blessed creation, that blesses us, that calls us all beloved, that calls us good. God does not ask us to repent and turn around to something new without also saying to us, you are my beloved child and in you I am pleased. God carves with water and God also builds up. I am reminded of Aslan's voice saying words that bring about goodness and create a new and beautiful world. May we, all, may we start all things from this place of creation and love found at the waters of baptism. May we all hear that we are God's beloved children. May we hear that. But I know that as we hear those words, we've also all heard voices that don't create beauty. We've heard voices and words that do the opposite of create, words that tear down. And what happened this Wednesday is no surprise. 
The people who stormed the Capitol were told months ago to stand back and stand down. Wednesday was brought into existence with terrible, terrible words. And while there are terror, terrorizing words all around us, sometimes words can sing beauty into existence for us and invite us to new life, carving and cleansing as the water goes. We want those kinds of words instead. And so as we reflect on voices this week, there was a theme of voices throughout all of our texts this week. As we reflect on voices, as we begin this new year, I wonder about the ways that we could take after Aslan, the voice of the Spirit of God at creation and the dove at Jesus's baptism and use our voices to create beauty around us. I wonder if we could think about baptism and the ways it reminds us that we are all part of God's family, I wonder if we could take a hold of that truth that we are God's beloved children and then be empowered to, like Jesus, go into the world with that kind of love. And I don't want to say that this is going to be easy. It is terribly difficult in times like this to remember that those who incite violence like we saw on Wednesday are also a part of God's baptismal family. And this is not a sermon to say that there are good people on both sides, <laughs> or to say that this is simply an issue of disagreement in politics. This isn't a sermon on Christian unity across the aisle. As Christians, we shouldn't seek unity with things like white supremacy, violence, Christian nationalism, authoritarianism, and lies. We absolutely do not need to agree to disagree with those who try to further things that are evil. We can condemn these actions and ideas. In fact, for white Christians, working against these specific things and ideologies, these actions, it is our calling. It is part of what it means to follow God throughout scripture from beginning to end. But just because we work for peace and justice in our own ways, and through listening to people of color who may show us the way to go, and just because we go to our own people and have these sorts of conversations, it doesn't mean that we hate our fellow white people. In fact, we do exactly the opposite. We refuse to partner with these things that are evil, but we do not dehumanize people who perpetuate these things. We are called to fight injustice without dehumanizing those who perpetuate it. So while we commit ourselves to dismantling this white supremacy in our systems, in our communities, and in ourselves, we have to do so with God's redeeming love. We do so remembering that we are family through the waters of baptism, and we do so knowing that we are all still beloved children of God. As Pastor Todd wrote to us in a letter this week, nothing is beyond redemption. So how might we think of our own baptisms? How might we remember the ways that we were welcomed into God's family through those waters of repentance? And how can we then continue to bestow that kind of caring word upon those around us and invite them into the same carving and purifying waters? There is a quote that I love by poet Nayira Wahid. 
that says something that might help us here. It says, you do not have to be fire for every mountain blocking you. You could be a water and soft river your way to freedom too. And in this new year, we are invited to remember our baptism and to repent. We can let those waters of baptism carve into us and bring us to new life again, to river us to freedom. We too are invited to remember God's blessings given to us at our baptism and bless and not curse others. We are invited to river others way to freedom too. Amen.